Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. Let's talk about grumbling. And I'm not talking about you, so don't judge me. I just want to use grumbling as a case study because I'm I'm going to bring my friend Biff up, and I want to share a little bit out of his life. And I actually want to present Biff's case to you, and I trust that you would use it as a case study to work through it and who knows, maybe you can help him. We are a leadership development ministry. We train people how to do the work of discipleship. And so I want to talk about Biff, his problem with grumbling. And I'm going to title this, When Suffering Reaches the Limits of Our Endurance. Now, I trust that you will find some practical application for yourself. Uh, but I also hope that uh, you would be able to use this case study and, and then answer the questions that I'm going to ask you at the end, and then maybe you will be able to grow in your discipleship acumen. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. I'm so grateful that you are here. This is Life Over Coffee. You can find us at lifeovercoffee.com. We do create resources to help people to work through their issues. Just this morning, I woke up and one of my emails was a a marriage is going through adultery, a, a multi-decade marriage, and the husband has been living in adultery for a number of years, and uh, the wife was asking for help. Email number two was uh, a fiancé who had left the other person, and the individual was struggling who wrote in, and they were asking for help. That is a typical day. I had someone on uh, Instagram ask that, hey, when you put these videos up, would you close caption them? I would really like to read the text as I am listening. I smiled and it's like, yes, I am going to get right on that. Now, I don't want you to perceive what I'm saying to you is grumbling. I don't think that I am. But I am sharing with you just a snapshot of what my day looks like and how God is using this ministry to help people. And I also want to make an appeal. Uh, we are a debt-free ministry, but we can only do so much. And I would love to have someone available to close caption our Instagram videos, uh, but it takes time, it takes people, it takes money. And so that is my appeal to you, that if you are able to support our ministry, would you do that? We are a donor-based ministry. We don't really sell anything to make a profit. And so we are dependent on, on people who believe in what we're doing, and they want to underwrite this ministry because our business model is that we give our products away. And so we do give these resources away. And so the video that the lady was watching on Instagram, it was put out there free for her to benefit from, and now she wants us to enhance the video by adding closed caption. And again, we need, those are things that we would love to do, and I have a lot more ideas ideas, not just closed captioning. And we would love to implement those ideas, but it only can happen in proportion to the people who support our ministry. And so God is using this ministry to make a difference. And if you believe that, and if you have the ability to be able to underwrite our ministry, will you? 
Uh, just go to our website. You can donate. You can call our office if you have other creative ways of donating. We would love to uh, talk to you because we do need your support. Now, this is a case study, and the title of the case study is When Suffering Reaches the Limits of Your Endurance. And I'm using grumbling as an illustration of the point with my friend Biff. Now, grumbling is a minor sin, but like tiny breadcrumbs leading you somewhere, the complaining spirit is showing you the practical condition of their heart. And so if you hear someone grumbling or complaining, just follow the breadcrumbs and they always lead to the same place because Jesus told us that out of our hearts, our words will proceed. Now, the grumbler might not perceive what their words are saying about them, or, or might not perceive what their words are saying about their need for a gospel recalibration. But you have to know this if you're going to help them. And so my friend Biff is one of those undiscerning complainers, and I trust that this case study will provide you insight into how to care for him but not just him, any other person with a grumbling, complaining spirit, or maybe you can just use the title here, any person whose suffering reaches the limits of their endurance. And so if you know anyone that is going through suffering and it seems like they are just at the end of their rope, they're at the limits of their endurance, I'm talking about grumbling and complaining here as a case study, but whatever they're going through, what I have to share with you will be a benefit to them. Now, Biff is like a lot of us. The heat in his life has more effect on him than the gospel. There's always going to be those competing, those two competing forces in our lives. Either the heat will be that force that will dominate and manage us, or the gospel will. Those are our only two options. And so when disappointment happens to Biff, the trouble quickly manages him rather than the Savior that he loves and professes to follow. And though his faith is genuine, I'm casting no shade on his faith. That's not what is in discussion here. That's not the point of emphasis. His faith is genuine. And though it is the cares of this world, quite simply, they overcome him too much. It doesn't take long for you to realize this. After a few minutes with Biff, he recites a sad list of things in his life. He reminds you of what the Savior said about how our words do reveal the condition of our hearts in Luke 6.45. And so you follow the breadcrumbs from his words and you see that there has to be a recalibration of his heart or he is going to sink into deeper despair. Biff's words show frustration, impatience, anger, hopelessness, despair, cynicism, and hurt by others. When you're helping someone, you're not judging them, but you are trying to discern them. And one of the ways that you do that is you listen to their words. When people write to us, when our supporting community writes on our private forums, I listen to their words because that's all that I have. But I know that their words are revealing to me how they think. And so I want to know, like Biff here, are you feeling 
theocentric? Are you God-centered or are you problem-centered? And if, if Biff's words create a word cloud that looks like frustration, impatience, anger, hopelessness, despair, cynicism, and hurt by others, well, then there is no question that Biff is problem-centered, not God-centered, and his trouble has risen to the place that he can no longer, it seems as though he can no longer endure. And so you want to sympathize with Biff because you care for him. You don't want to blow off his concern as though they don't matter. They do matter. And by the way, not only, much of what he says is legitimate. Unkind people have done hurtful things to him. And this is where you have to walk the razor's edge because you just don't chuck out everything that he says as though it's not true. But you want to be careful that you don't take up an offense because some of the things that he's saying is true. And so it takes a sturdy soul to be able to navigate this gauntlet that Biff is presenting. And so as you're sympathizing, the Spirit of God is nudging you to speak to Biff about God's grace and why he can't seem to appropriate that grace in his troubles. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that you want to bumper sticker Biff, that you, you don't want to cliche him by saying God's grace is sufficient. That is too simplistic. And, well, the fact that he can't appropriate God's grace in his life, bumper stickering him is not going to help him. You have to diagnose him carefully and then help him to realize that so that he can diagnose himself and then bring gospel application to his life. But grace is sufficient for the trials. Grace is sufficient for any trial that we may be going through. But you're concerned about why he can't seem to walk in God's empowering favor. And so you want to have a heart-to-heart discussion with Biff. You pray about it, and the Lord leads you to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Now, I would love for you to set aside or pin that text to the wall. Write it down if you're not driving at this point. And I want you to come back to this text and do a study. In fact, you can parallel this text. Just put it right beside uh, this article that I'm presenting to you because I am going to unpack that text. And so I would love for you to print off of this article that I'm sharing with you and use that text and then make notes on the paper so that you can create a careful case study for Biff. But before I get into Hebrews, I want to share with you Hebrew, uh, Exodus 17.3 because that really leads into what the Hebrew writer is talking about in Hebrews chapter number two. And so in Exodus 17, it says this, but the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so the Hebrew writer wrote this New Testament book for a group of people who had difficulty persevering through their troubles. And like the Hebrews of the Old Testament wilderness wandering, these New Testament Hebrews were succumbing too quickly and they were ready to throw in the towel, like my friend Biff. When a person is heading down the path of despair, 
It's a clear sign that he has forgotten the gospel of promise. Now for us, New Testament believers, we can land right in Philippians 1.6 where we read that what God has begun, he is going to complete. And you can map that verse over those who are wandering in the wilderness. It's as though Moses could have said, what God has begun in Egypt by bringing you out, he is going to complete. But once they came out, difficulties began to confront them and they were ready to throw in the towel which we hear in their grumbling, not realizing that God is a promise-keeping God. He will bring a beautiful completion to what he has begun. The Israelites lost their God-centered perspective. They saw the power of God as they were coming through the Red Sea, but they were grumbling only a few days later. Now, we can't look at that in a detached way as though we don't do that too. And so maybe it would be a good time to ask, what about me? What about you? How are you holding up through your circumstances? The grace of God can be objectively measured in our lives by our countenance, by our confidence, and by our communication. Grumbling and complaining are some clues that you will hear from a person who is not bearing up under the circumstances. And in such a case like that, the person has forgotten the hope, the peace, the redemption found in the gospel. It is instructive to note how the Hebrew writer is counseling these people. Notice the focus on the heat in their lives. The the focus is not on the Savior. These people who are grumbling and complaining, they are looking at the heat. In the Old Testament, they are they are thirsting and and they they that is the problem. That is the situational difficulty in their life. In the Hebrew, the book of Hebrews, these people were being persecuted. And you can read Hebrews 11 and see some of the traumatic events that were happening in their lives. And that is the temptation that we focus on the heat, not on the Savior who has positioned himself to help us through our suffering. And so Bilf is having a crisis in his faith which is really the simplest and most accurate way to say it. The folks in the Old Testament were having a crisis of faith. In in the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, they were going through severe persecution, and there was a temptation to have a crisis of faith. Biff is having a crisis of faith. When a person does not hold to Jesus, and you'll hear that language throughout Hebrews, hold fast to that profession of faith. And when we're not holding to Jesus, our faith is breaking down. Thus, the more significant issue for Biff is not what he is going through or what others are doing to him. The Lord does not call us to perfect faith. And I don't want you to hear that uh, as I share this with you. I like what David Pallison said, wobbling will do. Sometimes we can't mount up as eagles and soar. Sometimes wobbling will do. And so God is not calling us to a perfect faith, but he does expect us 
to appropriate His faith in our lives to give us the ability to overcome the troubles in our world. And though Biff is a genuine believer, his intellectual understanding of the Bible and his functional application of the Bible are not the same, meaning that he knows a lot more about the Bible than he is practically applying from the Bible. Now, there will always be a disparity between what we believe and what we know versus what we practice, but God's grace is still sufficient regardless of what we are experiencing. And that is a hard saying, who can hear it? Well, in John 16, this is what Jesus says. He says, I have, I've said these things to you that in, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, that is an important passage of Scripture if we are being asked to situate our faith in someone who has transcended the troubles of this world. And Jesus Christ most definitely has. And so he becomes our example, the one that we want to not only emulate, but we want to apply Christ in our lives. Overcoming faith Jesus talking about overcoming the world. He has overcome the world. You could say we can have overcoming faith, and that's not what you predominantly hear from Biff. And so, again, as you listen to people talk about their problems, do they come at it from an overcoming faith perspective or a problem-centered perspective? Now, I don't want you to play whack-a-mole with them and just beat them over the head because they're not saying it the right way, but you do want to listen with a discerning ear. Biff is more whooped than wonderful. He's more jerked around than joyful. He's more cynical than conquering. Biff is a problem-centered Christian which does not mean that he should never talk about his problems. And you don't want somebody to feel that way. You want them to be able to talk about their problems, but there is a way of talking about it as though the, the glass is half full or half empty. You can talk about the glass, but how do we talk about it? Joseph said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Joseph talked about it, but he talked about it from a sovereign-centered perspective. And so Biff should talk about his trouble. By the way, that's how you read the Psalms. A typical Psalm will lay out the problem, talking about the problem, while working toward a God-centered, God-glorifying, God-exalting conclusion. But Biff rarely gets that far. The problem captures him. And then the layers of subsequent disappointment come down on top of his pre-existing problem, creating a web of tangled complexity. And this is where the Hebrew writer comes in and helps us to maybe, maybe a, a, a quick uh, jolt. And this is what Hebrews 5.12 is. He says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Now, the, the Hebrew writer, <laughs> uh, uh, he, did, he didn't understand snowflakes and people who are easily offended. And so as you 
think through what I'm sharing with you, also consider your audience. His audience and most of our audiences today are far different. They're going through death. We haven't seen anything like what they're going through. There's been multiple generations now. The the greatest generation here in America, the World War II generation, most of them have, have died, and we have lived a comforted life. And so as you read Hebrews, it's almost like he's talking to a, another generation or another world, and most definitely he is. But he's talking about the need for meat, not milk. He's talking about sound theology that, that underrides our practical application. And so sound theology provides proper application. Sound theology is the prerequisite for good biblical discipleship. Weak theology creates weak applications, leading to weak, fearful, and struggling people. And so I think I can surmise that Biff has weak theology because his application, how he's living his life, based on the words that he's saying, the word cloud that surrounds him as he describes his life, well, I would say that Biff has a weak theological substructure. And while you don't want to be condescending to Biff, you do feel compelled to take him back to the elemental principles of the gospel. For by this time, he should be a teacher as long as he has been walking with Christ, but he needs milk, not meat. Sometimes we can assume too much about people thinking that they understand the basic applied concepts of the gospel, though their attitudes and their speech patterns would reveal otherwise. There can be a disconnect between our lives and the life of Christ. The suffering and death of Christ should help us when we go through our pain. He is our example as one who has been there and done that. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And this perspective makes his suffering exhibit A for how and why we are experiencing suffering. When I talk about the perfecter of our faith, I'm sure that your mind has already gone to Hebrews 12 too. And so let me share that passage with you. The Hebrew writer again. Now he's talking in 12.2, and he says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so with Jesus fixated in view, the question becomes, how is Jesus helping Biff through his suffering. If we are looking unto Jesus, then I want to ask Biff, how is Jesus helping you through your suffering? Now, this inquiry will explore his faith in Jesus. To look to Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, means that you're going to explore his faith to see if it has been perfected which you may find out that he hasn't really been eyeballing Christ. As I said earlier, he's more fixated on his suffering. 
The only way Jesus can help him is by having faith or trust or confidence in Jesus, which makes faith a big deal when you're helping someone like Biff. A person who Jesus is not objectively helping is demonstrating a genuine, functional breakdown of faith in Jesus. If Jesus is not helping you, there's something wrong with your faith in Jesus. The Hebrew author was in full Christological mode when writing to those who were thinking about chucking their faith. He called them to reorient their minds away from their problems and onto Christ. The author had sound, the Hebrew writer had sound theology. In this case, he was zeroing in on a rational Christological perspective for their issues. He wants to ensure that his readers have a comprehensive view of Christ so their faith will carry them to find Christ's strength in their weaknesses. Which brings us to the primary text, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18 that is pinned to the wall over here. And I would love for you to parallel that with this article that I'm sharing with you, which you can print off. And so let me read verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 2. I'll mention the others in a moment. But in verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Christ, likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood. He became a man so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And so what we have here is Jesus incarnate. He becomes a man. And then he goes through the door of death because he has to get to the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. That's Hebrews 2.14. Jesus can help us when we suffer because he identifies with us in our suffering. He understands what we're going through. He became a man. He went through the door of death to destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. The author was correct when he said in another place in Hebrews, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet this one, him, Christ, without sin. If I were to ask you who has suffered more than anyone else, how would you answer? What person or persons come to mind when you think about human suffering? The person who has suffered more than anyone else is God incarnate, the man, Jesus Christ. Nobody eclipses him on the human suffering scale. For God to become a man to die on the cross for unloving people is the greatest act of love and personal suffering. God, in the person of Jesus, paid the highest price for suffering. Now, some people may struggle with a God who would make a world that has evil in it, but the more transcending thought is a God who made a world that he would suffer more than anyone else. And though there may not be a person in your life who understands what you're going through, Jesus does. And so the real question is whether you're looking for someone other than Jesus who understands you. People often lament, if only someone understood my situation. Well, dear friend, 
Someone does know what you're going through. His name is, is Jesus. Will you turn to him in faith and begin to trust him to navigate through the storm in your life? And so Jesus went through, he took on flesh and blood, became a man, and he went through the door of death to deliver him who had the power of death, that is the devil, that's verse 14 of Hebrews 2, and then verse 15, the very next sentence says this, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so you see the linkage here. God became man. He lived, he died on a cross, he went through death to destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, because there were a group of people on the other side of that, to deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery, that is, you and me. So not only does Jesus understand us, but he delivers us. He can help us when we suffer because he suffered and died to save us from the real cause of our suffering. And so listen slowly here, which is sin. Sin is the real cause of our suffering. Now, some people spaz out on that. I'm not saying that your pain or whatever you're going through is because you have sinned. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, maybe you did sin and maybe you're suffering for it. Perhaps you didn't sin, but you're suffering due to someone else's sin either someone in your sphere of influence or because of the fall of Adam, Adam's sin. And so it's not simplistic, it's actually comprehensive that we suffer because of sin. Either way, sin is always in play when we're suffering one way or the other, whether it's my sin, your sin, someone else's sin, or simply because we live in a sinful world. This is a presuppositional perspective, and it's a crucial point. Here it is. God did not come into our world to remove our suffering, but to remove our sin. This is what the Hebrew writer was saying. They were in bondage to sin, and he came to deliver them who were in bondage to sin, not to deliver them from their suffering. Our suffering will go away later, Hebrews tw uh, uh, Revelation 21.4. But we are to overcome sin today. And so I can't promise that Biff will lose his suffering, but he can overcome sin today because that is what the Hebrew writer is saying in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It shows how God's way to destroy sin is through the door of suffering. He went through death to destroy him who had the power of death, that is the, the, the devil, to deliver them who through fear of death were uh, encumbered by lifelong slavery. His goal was to go through death to defeat evil. This kind of gospel work rendered powerless the strength of the devil. Christ's pain defeated sin. If our sinfulness grows during our suffering, then we have missed the point of our suffering. Sin should not grow during our suffering. Our suffering may never end, but sin can be removed. Death is the mysterious and fearful door through which we all have to walk to live. It was the death of Christ that defeated the one who had the power of death. Satan used to hold the fear of death over our heads. We're in bondage to our greatest fear, which is death. The suffering and death of Christ removed this fear 
We're not enslaved to the fear of death anymore. And now with our worst problem in life resolved by the power of the gospel, we are free to live in overcoming faith. This kind of faith empowers us to live victoriously regardless of what problems come, come at us. Christ has defeated sin through his suffering. We should also be able to conquer sin through our adversity, which will only happen in proportion to our emulation of the Savior. The foolishness and weakness of the gospel applied to our lives will give us wisdom, power, and victory. In Hebrews 2.18, going back to our primary passage, it says, "...for because he himself has suffered when tempted." He is able to help those who are being tempted. And so we must suffer, one. Number two, we must persevere through our suffering. Jesus' resurrection evidences the victory that he experienced when he suffered and died. He did not just go through the, de- through the door of death, defeat the devil, and die and stay dead. The resurrection positioned him to help us when sin holds us enslaved in bondage. The door of suffering, death, and restoration gives way for a person to be an active restorer in the lives of others. And so Jesus is now an active restorer in our lives because he went through the door of death and, uh, or suffering and death and resurrection. For you to be a redemptive or restorative person in someone's life, there are two things that you have to do. Suffer and persevere through your suffering. And this aspect of the gospel is complex for many believers to understand. How our redemptive usefulness in this world comes through suffering. As Christ, our example, went through that door to defeat, and to deliver. The most potent and persevering way you can emulate the Savior in your life and experience His empowering favor is to serve others by enduring suffering, thus emulating Christ. Your suffering suffering will strengthen your faith, enabling you to rescue others who are struggling in their faith. They're held captive. The greatest temptation comes when the weight of our problems outweighs this gospel that I have been articulating here. When a person is regularly overwhelmed by circumstance, he's not living in the functional reality of the gospel. And when this is true, it's vital to explore the Christ-centered disconnect. And so now is the time to make these applications to our friend I've titled this, When Suffering Reaches the Limits of Our Endurance. And so I have a few questions for you. The the first one is a general question for you to think about. How would you counsel grumbling Biff, who's at the limits of his his ability? He's, he's, He's at the end of his rope. His suffering is now transcending his ability to endure. How would you counsel Biff using Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 18? Now, perhaps the questions, these following questions will give you some kind of direction. Number two, how are the Savior's suffering and death helping Biff as he goes through his difficulty? Now, that's an essay question, and I would encourage you to to write out, how is the suffering and death of Christ as we see in Hebrews 2 helping Biff through his difficulty? I mean, I think your first 
impulse would say there seems to be a disconnect between what Christ did and, and how Biff is functionally uh, working out his salvation. And that would be true, and it would be good for you to explore that a bit more. Number three, do you believe his suffering strengthens and positions him to help others captivated by sin? Well, that's a yes or no, and of course the answer is no. And so the follow-up is, why did you answer the way that you did? And that leads into another essay-type question. Number four, will it be grumbling or the gospel for Biff? What does he need to do to turn from grumbling to living in the functional realities of the gospel? Question number five, what circumstances or person in your life tempts you to grumble more than rejoice? Number six, the last question. Jesus went to the cross to die for you. Is his love for you more controlling than the suffering that you are going through now? Because he did not give up, Jesus, he positioned himself to help us, and we need this kind of persevering grace in our lives. If we are willing to identify with the Savior's suffering and appropriate his grace to our lives, we'll be in the proper position to help people who do not have victory over their plight, such as a person as Biff. When suffering reaches the limits of our endurance, you can read, watch, or listen to this. Uh, if you're able to support our ministry so that we can continue to do more, uh, reach more people with the practical message of Christ, please consider that. Uh, you can hit the donate link. You could be part of our community. You can become a supporting member rather than donating, but either one uh, works. If you would consider that, I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.